Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast that features Uri Holub on leading a new generation of meeting designers. Uri is the VP of Brand and Communications and Chief Meeting Designer for Slido. And he is joined by myself and the deputy editor of Event MB, uh, Dylan Monarchio, in a conversation that covers the evolution of the bootstrapped startup that was Slido and now recently acquired by Cisco as URI was employee number eight and the company now has hundreds of employees around the world. We talk about some of the burnout that was involved in the rapid uh, evolution of Slido throughout the last few years. We talk about pivoting to virtual, which for a software tool may sound simple, but this was not the case. So we learned from URI about how they learned from others and learned from users on how to really be able to do this effectively and efficiently. We talk about the value of content marketing, something that URI has done a lot throughout his career. We talk about the importance of interaction at meetings and the getting participants to do their homework in advance of meeting and how that can really improve meetings. And we talked about being open to feedback and preventing attendees from leaving a meeting without speaking their mind, which should always be a goal. Fascinating conversation. I do recommend that you listen to it in its entirety. If you are here listening, then please do subscribe to the podcast and rate it uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And now over to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Event Manager Podcast. My name is Miguel Neves and I'm here with Deputy Editor of Event MB, Dylan Monarchio. And we are joined today by none other than Uri Holub, the VP of Brand and Comms and Chief Meeting Designer at Slido. And Slido that was just acquired by Cisco or the, the intention to acquire was announced a while back, but it just concluded. Uh, so Uri, welcome to the show. Congratulations to you and the Slido team. It's it's awesome to have you with us. So uh, congratulations from us. Thank you so much, Miguel, for your kind words. And thank you so much for the invitation. Really happy to be here. Awesome. Um, I've known Uri for a long time. And the memory is always tough to kind of pinpoint exactly. I believe we met in Copenhagen at the Fresh Conference 2012, maybe 13. I uh, don't know exactly, but you were studying in Copenhagen at the time, I believe, right? And then you just became a sort of household name in the meeting industry. Um, were you already part of Slido at that point, or does that kind of part of the story come a little bit later? You're absolutely right. We met in Copenhagen at the Fresh Conference organized by Martin Van Esten. It was the first time 
I was in touch with meeting design and experiencing the conference that can be done in a different way than just uh, a streak of one-way presentations. And to your second part of the question, yes, I was studying in Denmark and I was working in parallel for Slido back then. So yes, uh, your memory is, is solid strong. That's actually, yeah, it was pretty clear memory actually. I had to just kind of double check, but that was that was, that was was pretty solid. I'm, I'm impressed with myself. And how big was Slido <laughs> as a company back then? It was, it was based in Slovakia, in Bratislava, where you are located now and where you're from. How big of a company are we talking about here? Yeah, I joined Slido in 2013 and I was employee number eight. So the whole team, the entire development department, the entire support department, the entire design department, the entire marketing department actually fits in, uh, in one room. But unlike the previous offices that we had uh, with no windows whatsoever, uh, because we were, or guys were so much on a tight budget, uh, that it was really the tiniest room possible that they could have rented. Uh, this was already the second stage, uh, a more luxurious stage. So we already enjoyed um, uh, the luxury of a window and actually a pretty nice overview and, 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 and a view over the lake. Uh, and fun fact is, that to these dates, uh, obviously the office expanded uh, because it wouldn't uh, we wouldn't fit in almost 200 people that are on the team right now. But we stayed in the same building and we are enjoying the same view over the lake. Wow! So it's like the the Slido block or something now, right? You have the the, the whole building now. That's, that's not awesome. really, but the, the the whole floor, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And then we kind of stayed in touch. You got involved with MPI and, and, and all sorts of things. And you started really working hard on the content side. You, you did expert blogging on, on the Slido blog. You were contributing to lots of different articles, which I thought was fascinating. And, and then we, we, I remember hanging out with you quite a bit in, uh, on, in South by Southwest, um, 2016. Um, was that a big kind of break for Slido uh, or was it? one of many events that you were able to uh, to be part of? Well, definitely. South by Southwest is, as you use the term, um, a household, actually, a name in the, in, in, in the events industry across the globe. And uh, our early strategy was really to get Slido to some of these largest events and then get and create that kind of a snowball effect by... Mm -hmm having Slido actually used by these major events, major speakers, and at the same time being exposed to decision makers that were sitting in the audience. So for us, back then, 2016, uh, Slido being used for the very first time at the, at the big South by Southwest was a, really a huge milestone for us that, um, that helped us you know, to, on, on our journey of establishing Slido as a, as a standard tool for, for the audience interaction in meetings. And actually the path was kind of winding. It took us three to four years, to be honest, to actually get to the large and to the main South by Southwest. And um, it, it was the case with most of these big um, and, and, and high profile events, because you need to build that confidence and the trust uh, you know, with the organizing team back then, uh, it was not a standard thing to be using, you know, a live polling and a Q&A tool. So it was a rather a new technology and, uh, and we had to take it step by step. The first year, it was just one stage or even one speaker that was using the tool. The second year, it could have been, you know, one room that used it throughout the day. 
And, you know, gradually we, we built the trust with the team. They understood the, the, the potential of the team and, and, you know, trusted us that we can actually deliver. And uh, that's how we got to, to events like South by Southwest in 2016. Yeah, I remember, I think you were on the education stage or, and that was one of the things I took away from being there um, was that South by Southwest is this massive high profile event, but in practice, it's really more like 30 events that are all kind of together called South by Southwest. And then um, kind of each venue has its own style, its own vibe, and has its own kind of way of doing things that all make sense. They're all connected. Uh, you know, but I remember downloading the app and there being something like 6,000 sessions and it was just completely overwhelming. And only I think by the third day I was there, I realized that each venue had a bit of um, like a theme to it. You know, like there was a fintech kind of area and there was this and there's like, ah, okay. So if I go by the app, I'm just going to keep changing venue and lose a lot of time in between, you know, like walking around different parts of the city. So it was, it was a big learning for me, but it was really kind of interesting to, to kind of be there um, yeah, and, and see that. Um, I wanted to also cover, I, I remember, you know, you, you spent a lot of time in the States and, uh, and I think you, you, you know, Slido being bootstrapped, I believe, or, or kind of, you know, you had low kind of, you know, not a big budget to kind of spend it. And you spent a lot of time on a low budget trying to do as much as you could. And, and I remember speaking to you and there was a sort of point, a, a breaking point where, where you couldn't really do that anymore. And I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I'd love you to just talk about that a little bit and, and just give us some idea of, you know, what happened and, and, and how do we, how do we, how do we not let that happen to people? Cause I think it's, it's never a good thing, right? Yeah. So it was, it was actually 2016 and 2017. I spent uh, yeah, a year and a half, almost two years in the U S and uh, back then I joined my colleague, Christina, um, a huge shout out to her. She was really that, pioneer that literally just took one suitcase and went overseas uh, across the pond and, uh, you know, sort of uh, started living in a tiny room above the Dunkin' Donuts uh, in, 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 in the remote part of the Queens. And uh, after her being there for about six to 12 months, um, actually, our CEO, Peter Komornik, approached me and he was like, okay, you're right. Would you would you like to join Christina in the states? Like for us, the U.S. is really the market where we want to focus on. Um, if we want to become a global company, like this is definitely the, the the market number one. And you know, back then I was what was I like 26 or 27. It was incredible opportunity, and like I didn't hesitate a second. And I said yes, yes, let's do that like a straight away. And uh, I wouldn't change it for anything else. Honestly, it was a tough time. It was not an easy time. And exactly as you said, Miguel, we were bootstrapped. So we didn't have a multi-million dollar funding. So we were still in a stage where we weren't counting every single euro. So I joined Christina and that kind of a shared department about the Dunkin' Donuts in the remote part of the Queens, uh, sleeping on the, on, the, on the sofa or on a yoga mat in the kitchen. Um, and then, you know, working long days and sometimes having the meetings, you know, with the millionaires on the Wall Street, right? Or uh, multi-billion dollar companies. And you had to, you know, just like uh, keep your face. Like, yeah, I'm perfectly aware. I'm like, I'm perfectly used to this, right? Like I can, I can handle this level of meetings. No worries. Yeah. I'm not just a tiny guy from Eastern Europe sleeping on the yoga mat somewhere in Queens. <laughs> so uh, it was a, it was a, 
it was really a, a, an interesting uh, time back then, but incredibly rewarding, incredibly thrilling. But as you touched on that, it's obviously like it took its toll as well. And especially if you are starting something new, uh, you don't know what you don't know. And that's an okay phase. But then you move to the second phase uh, when you start realizing how much you actually don't know. So you are in the second stage, you know what you don't know. And uh, uh, I remember I just like, you know, I'll exaggerate a little bit, but I, I, I panicked. I saw like, oh, all right, I need to do this. I need to do that. I have to catch up on the product side of things. I need to, you know, get better at closing the deals. And it was incredibly overwhelming because back then it was almost like a setting up a new office or even a company within a company on the other side of the globe, just the two of us. So one day you had to handle a big client meeting. The second day you had to go and support Slido, you know, technically somewhere in the backstage. Yep. Uh, the third thing you had to organize a, a, a conference uh, with some kind of a partners. So you, with Christina, we really became like a two-person company and that was incredibly overwhelming. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, and I guess I wanted to bring this up because I think it's it's good learning, but how did your approach change after that? You know, and, and is that also sort of part of what you what you do now and how, you know, the, like your theory on, on work and, and, and startups? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it actually after about a year, year and a half in the, sorry, year and a half in the States, I, I came to the conclusion when I just like couldn't anymore. Like my mind, my body shut down, luckily with no uh, grave consequences, but I just, I just couldn't. Um, and uh, and I was like, okay, I have to do something about it. I have to change something uh, about that. So I actually moved back home because that's where I felt safe. That's where I felt like I have the ground under my feet. And I drastically reduced the, the scope of the things that I was doing, right? And I returned back to what I fundamentally enjoyed and still enjoying, and that's content creation that you briefly touched on, Miguel, that I do love writing. I do love the process of creation. And, um, and, and that's how I gradually started putting all the pieces actually back in one place um, and regaining my mental capacity and, and my passion for, for the job that I, that I had loved and still loved, but I was, you know, sort of drained in, in order to do that. Now that's, that's really interesting. I imagine a lot of startups, you know, with, with, we're recording this in, in May, 2021 with the pandemic and explosive growth or hyper growth. I imagine a lot of people are going through similar things, you know, maybe they have a bigger budget now or things are, are better on the financial side for those working more on virtual, but I imagine that there are a lot of people working very, very fast and breaking things. And unfortunately that breaking things is sometimes the, the human side as well. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's been quite a distinction. I mean, like the hyper growth when you have to spend three years getting one speaker on South by Southwest is not the same as the hyper growth that you experience when in four months, your company goes from like two people to 40 people because everyone needs virtual solutions. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But I don't know if that's something that you've, you've also been a part of URI and, uh, but, uh, Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, you, you know, uh, companies are growing at, at, at the breakneck, breakneck speed these days, right? Like uh, hopping, I mean, like growing, you know, whether it's in, 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 the, in the funding or the size of the team, it's, it's unprecedented and it's really, really impressive. So obviously we didn't have that kind of uh, hyper growth. But nonetheless, it was, it was, it was crazy. And, and I like to say uh, that it's like 
you know, uh, hopping into Ferrari that's got the brakes broken, the steering broken, <laughs> you just got out of the driving school and somebody tells you to drive, you know, 200 kilometers an hour, or 250 kilometers an hour on a country road. That was the feeling that I was sort of like a having, right? And you can imagine that, uh, yes, for some time it's thrilling, but at a certain point you might just say like, all oh, right, this is, this is too crazy. This is too risky. This is, that yep. I, I can't do that. Like, so that, that was the feeling that I had for quite some time. And, and, and again, um, potentially other people in, in the startups might have a different metaphor, but uh, the feeling might be, uh, you know, familiar, but again, I don't want to speak on anybody's behalf. I think that's, that's really interesting, but tell me a little bit about, so your love of content, you managed to kind of return to your love of content and creation. Um, was that, that was always your role at Slido and, and how did you, develop your skills around that? Because I think that's that's one area that many people in the industry are, are having to develop also very quickly. Um, any advice that you can give there? Yeah. Our, our philosophy at Slido has always been like, if we want to be successful, we need to, or we want to make our successful, uh, our, our clients happy and successful, like everything else will follow. And part of that success or part of ensuring, you know, the success of our clients was to understand how they use the tool, understand the potential. And I like to say that we, as a, as a, as, as a maker of the tool, learned from our users how to use it. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, were, we were attending all these conferences where, uh, where even yourself or other like uh, influencers from the events industry actually taught us how to use the tool, how to use Slido. And um, Peter- So your clients were, were teaching you how to use the tool that you created? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Like, uh, I remember there were many sessions, presentations um, you know, uh, for example, Porig and Patrick, like uh, really, uh, you know, uh, household names, as, as you like to say, in, in the industry, like use Slido in such a innovative ways that we would never be able to, you know, uh, understand ourselves. We're not professional facilitators, right? So we started working with professional facilitators uh, and, and, and they taught us how to use Slido. And uh, I was there, I experienced that and I wanted to capture it. I wanted to create the content around what I've seen, what, uh, how they used it so we could share it with other customers and help them make their events and meetings successful. So it was very much aligned um, you know, with, with our philosophy that our success will follow if we make our customers you know, successful. And uh, I, have to, I have to give a huge, huge credit to, again, like a Peter, our CEO that that believed in me, that believed in the role of content, because very often you have a lot of pressure, like what's the ROI of content? Why isn't it, you know, converting or it's not converting enough uh, people who come to visit. But for us, it was really about learning, about passing that knowledge forwards and about the thought leadership and, you know, uh, being more than just a technology. And I'm sure not, not just a little bit about SEO. <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is a part of that. Absolutely. Like SEO is a part of the game, right? And uh, you want to be, you want to be searchable, obviously, like, uh, and especially if the, if the segment, if the industry is getting more and more competitive, right? Like you want to have the first, uh, first page rankings, no doubt about that. Uh but back then the situation was was a bit different. Like the the competition wasn't that fierce. There were people were not even looking for those 
for for those uh, you know uh, search terms. Like nobody was looking for for, for search terms like a Q and A tool, right? Like a live polling was a thing back then, but uh, but but the whole strategy was was about creating that content, creating the thought leadership, and educating the market. Well, I think it's really interesting that you were taking your content from practical use cases that you observed on the field. And uh, I know that that led to, you know, a number of theories for which you've kind of become <laughs> known. <laughs> so, for example, uh, conversational meetings. Um, for those in, for those who don't know, what, how would you describe what conversational meetings are? Sure. If we're talking about meetings and we're talking now about the internal meetings, I think you have to ask yourself a fundamental question before you host one. And that fundamental question is ultimately super simple. And it's, it is, do I need this meeting? Do I need to organize that meeting? And if you can deliver and communicate information asynchronously, you should do that. And especially in the remote setup, right? Like use a Slack, use a... Uh, WebEx, use whatever Microsoft Teams or whatever tool that you are using. Uh, but if you want to have a conversation with your team, then you might actually consider hosting a meeting, right? So the meetings should be a means to gather ideas, to discuss something, uh, not just for the information sharing, right? So that what lies at the core of this idea that you need to really engage people in a conversation, and you need to scale that conversation like effectively if you want to get the most out of the meeting. So again, this is the whole idea behind that. Like once you are hosting a meeting, then make sure you get the most out of the time that you spend together. And that goes very much hand in hand with the conversation and with gathering the best ideas, scaling the input from uh, and crowdsourcing the input from, from people so you can come to the conclusion, to the best solutions, etc. So that, that, that what what what's lie at, 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 at its core that really reminds me of uh of something garrett haikoop was saying in one of our previous events about kind of flipping the script flipping the script on the one-to-many dissemination of information and events wherein people would ideally do their homework at home and then come to the event for the purpose of collaboration but when it comes to scaling how would you recommend that somebody take that kind of concept of appearing at an event in order to participate in something to a, a larger scale, say, thousand-person event. If you don't mind, Dylan, I would touch on the first part of your question or the first part of the content that tie, that yeah. that goes hand in hand with the with what Garrett said. And uh, and uh, shout out to I, Garrett. He was also <laughs> one of those people from whom we learned really a, a, a ton, and he keeps on inspiring us. And just coming back to that, uh, you know, doing your own homework, this is something that drastically improved our internal meetings within the team. So before we host the meeting, and again, we are talking not about the events, but the internal meetings over here, like mm -hmm. letting people know what they are supposed to do, how they are supposed to prepare, uh, giving them the time to, to brainstorm before you actually meet in the meeting has drastically, drastically improved the quality of the time that we spend together. If we are supposed to be talking about the content strategy for the Q2, or if we are talking about the retrospective of the, of the past project, or if we are talking about the content calendar, like giving 
people giving the team the homework to do before we meet like has been a complete game changer and then you need to capture it ideally before the meeting itself once you're in the meeting you have all that content actually captured all those ideas and it can be as simple as collecting that input through the google google doc or whatever other tool there is and you spend most of the time actually discussing prioritizing sharing more ideas and then once again, that's a that's a that's a practical example of the conversational meeting, right? Mm. So the great meeting starts before you actually join the meeting itself. But in an internal meeting where you're dealing with employees, you can mandate that they do that homework when you're talking about like a larger scale event that's not relegated to your specific team. You can't mandate that the attendees consume a bunch of content and then feed you stuff prior to the event. So how would that apply in a scenario where mm -hmm. you're doing, for example, a conference? Yeah. So in, in the context of the uh, of, of conferences and events, we, we gave it a slightly different spin. Uh, we were advocating for conversational presenting. And uh, conversational presenting is about really delivering a pieces of the content before you let people digest what you discussed. And again, uh, Dylan, that comes to uh, your challenging point of the whole concept, and thanks for that. And I think it's a brilliant thing to 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 do to challenge the whole thing. Yes, you're absolutely right. Like people will not come prepared, and it, they will not come prepared. But you can, as a speaker, deliver a concept, deliver you know a short presentation of about ten minutes, and then you create a break and you put people in a, in in a, you know in a in a when when they are sitting at the roundtables in the small groups. And you let them discuss uh, what what they just heard, share their experience, etc. And then you can deliver another chunk of the content and repeat actually the process, right? And you can easily scale this with, you know, hundreds or even thousands of people. You can do it, you know, physically in a room when people are sitting at the different tables or when they are sitting next to each other. You can always put people in pairs, and obviously you can use the technology to crowdsource all what was actually said in the audience and bring it on stage uh, to enforce that learning and, and, and display what, what everybody was talking about during that, that space that you created for, for the conversation. I think that's really interesting. I think it's interesting because in a sense, when you have a room full of professionals with several years of experience, they have done their homework and their homework was building their careers. So in this way, you're able to leverage the expertise of your audience as part of the creation of the content. Uh, absolutely. And Again, shout outs to our CEO, Peter. He, he put it really nicely. He asked me after delivering one presentation, the following question. He asked me, okay, you're right. What did you learn from and about your audience? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, okay, then you failed. You didn't do a good job. Like, you don't know who, who, who you spoke with, right? Like, you didn't learn anything new from them. You had 100 people, 100 experts, as you said, Dylan, sitting in the audience, and you didn't tap into their knowledge. And uh, I like to say that some presentations that we delivered, uh, World Education Congress organized by the MPI, we had these two sessions about the exactly conversational presenting. We used the same technique, as I said, like a smaller uh, you know, breakout, uh, breakout groups in, in which they, they discussed a certain concept. We learned so much actually from those experts, and and we and I just like realized personally that there are people who are much bigger experts than myself 
that I'm supposed to be, you know, preaching from stage. <laughs> and again, this kind of uh, approach lets you unlock that potential that you have in in in, in your room, whether right. you use the technology or you use or or you use an old school piece of paper, right? Right. Nice humble realization. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. I wanted, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the the virtual side of things. Um, I, I don't know how you live this this pivot to virtual. Uh, I, I gather that it wasn't always a, a comfortable experience to kind of be able to to, to use the tools online. Um, tell me a little bit about how the last fifteen months have kind of panned out. It's been. It's been crazy, honestly. If I look back to March 2020, we were truly a tool for live all-hands meetings and live conferences. And I remember that conversation that we had with the exec team and we saw, okay, we need to move to remote. And you know, I took this kind of a marketing approach to it. I was like, yeah, sure, we are going to change the slogan. We are going to start pumping some content that we'll be talking about the remote stuff and and then the realization actually hit me like damn like we are not we are not a remote meeting still right so we had to completely you know like a we had to turn 180 degrees more or less and we had to start building the integrations or speed up the 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 the, the integration building process we had to simplify the whole usage of Slido in the virtual space. And luckily, uh, Slido is basically compatible with any video conferencing tool that you are using as a standalone tool. And on top of that, we, we, we as I said, like a sped up the process of building the integrations with, with, with Zoom, Microsoft uh, Teams, uh, PowerPoint, Google Sites, and obviously now the main priority is the WebEx. Uh, but the whole company actually had to, you know, turn 180 degrees. And there was even a dip, like our, um, our revenue dropped drastically. Uh, we had to actually uh, lay off about 10% of our, our team. And I remember like things were, mm, things looked pretty bleak and uh, we were standing in front of this kind of a large dilemma. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to actually get out of this, this mess? So all hands were put on deck and we said, like, all right, there's no other way, but to really focus fully on the virtual experience, on the integrations, on educating our customers that Slido can be used, you know, for giving a voice to their virtual teams. And uh, again, um, helping them to make the switch and uh, content and, and, and education and being there for our customers, um, you know, has been absolute priority. So we delivered dozens of webinars in a course of like five months, 30, 40 webinars. We started running three webinars a, a week, really just like to be there for the, for the clients and be there for um, also for the rest of the industry. 
putting a lot of content out there. And again, like on the product side of things, trying to simplify the usage of Sido as, as simple as possible uh, as, as, and, and make it as easy as possible. And then uh, um, things turned. And in, uh, in late April, late May, we started seeing like unprecedented growth. And we basically wrapped up the year uh, with uh, more or less like a 200% year over year growth. But uh, that period, like in when, 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 the, when the crap hit the fan in the March, and, uh, March and April, that was a scary period. You think it's that you had maybe a competitive advantage as being sort of a simple tool that could plug into what people were already using, i.e. Zoom, as opposed to trying to construct something that was more all-inclusive, like a whole event platform that had a Q&A component? I, I think that the biggest strategic shift was that we simply had to break the lessening tie with the with the conferences onto which we were clinging so much and it was a heartbreaking actually move uh for the past couple of years we were really shifting from conferences to the all hands meetings in corporations and within the corporations we started expanding to the small team use case and the solo presenters and the the coronavirus crisis actually sped up that process and we had to really make that big strategic decision that yes, internal meetings is the segment where we want to go. And unfortunately, that means that we might lose the events industry segment. And that was actually um, a decision that we had to, had to make or the consequences that we, we, we had to you know, sort of uh, be able to cope with, but that actually sped up the whole transformation process of Sido being used as a, as a conference tool to to, to, to putting it to team leaders and executives that started using it for their team meetings. It's, it's interesting because from what I'm hearing, it's not as much of a technology shift as it is of a sort of marketing channel and sales channel and kind of, uh, you know, reach outreach shift, right? So the tech, because what I know of the tool, it doesn't change that much if you use it virtually or on site but it's like you were set up basically for on-site usage and it was hard to make that shift. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely, Miguel, you just uh, described it perfectly. Um, the tool itself, if you want to use it as a standalone tool, can be used in the virtual environment as well as in, in, in live environment for which it was initially actually built. But the biggest shift was in the way our customers you know, were thinking of Slido. And we are still like in full honesty, this is still a big challenge for us. They can see the usage of Slido for their large all company meetings, such as all hands meetings, offsites, downholes, but taking it one step further and realizing the full potential, the full potential of the tool in a, in a, in a team setup for exactly scaling the conversation that we discussed a little bit earlier, it's still a big thing on the educational side of things that we need to actually tackle and, 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 and find a solution to. So once again, it comes down to the education of, of, uh, of, our, of our customers. And that, that starts with deeply understanding their needs. Go back to the first step and go back to understanding their needs and listening a lot, right? And I, I, I think exactly. it's really interesting that you bring that up because you know, I've seen a lot of companies struggle to to a pivot or to shift or to kind of move their business and if you guys as a as a technology company 
had this big struggle, then I think for companies that are not so focused on technology, that must have been even, you know, much more, much deeper in, in many ways. So it's really interesting that you bring that up. Um, but I wanted to kind of make sure we touch on some of the research that you've been doing, because I know you've been focusing a little bit on on the hybrid side. And I guess one of the advantages that you have is that because the tool is so well known for for being the kind of on-site side of things, then when we are able to meet again and do the hybrid events, which are starting up a bit all over the world, then then you're kind of there. So hopefully that'll kind of help in that sense. But tell us a little bit about the research that you're doing in remote meetings and, and hybrid meetings as well. Yeah, sure thing. So one one thing is hearing the 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 anecdotes, right? And um, and and understanding both, you know, intuitively and, and and emotionally what is happening out there in the market. And we we just wanted to you know put some numbers on it. Uh, simply put, I wanted to find out how how remote meetings have changed and how people are perceiving them. And there are there are a couple of stats that really, you know, we, we, we found surprising. Some of them were on a more positive side of things. Some of them were slightly, uh, slightly uh, less positive. But and just, I to think it, just to check who, who was this research, like who were, sure. who was responding to this research, just so to put the context. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That's a good clarifying question. So we asked uh, 1,500 U.S. office workers. So this mm -hmm. is the sample. Again, this was directed towards the internal internal meetings, uh, not so much for external conferences. So we, we asked about 1,500 US workers. And well, it doesn't come as a surprise that four in five actually home workers said that they attend more meetings now that they would in the office. And I think you know the Zoom fatigue has become a whole thing, but you don't have to take only a negative uh, look at, at, at this stat. Like the online meetings had to supplement also the social capital building meetings, you know, all those, all those uh, short, short catch-ups and uh, the short small talks in the kitchen, etc. Like people were really fighting with the isolation and being alone and really online meetings were the easiest and the, 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 the easiest and the quickest fix. So again, meetings were not only about alignment, about brainstorming, but had to supplement this kind of a, a you know lessening and, and a weakening social bonds. Um, but uh, this is on a on a on a less positive side of things. Um, in the office, fifty five percent of meetings were unengaging. That's what the respondent said. And interesting enough, online meetings, according to our sample. Uh, have been more engaging and 40, 47% of remote meetings, uh, sorry, 47% of remote meetings remain unengaging in the online space, right? So there's a bit of an improvement from 55% of live meetings to 47, but still, you know, roughly said 50% are still, still boring, which brings me to the, to the two, two, two last stats that I want to mention over here. 42% of attendees actually have have left a meeting without saying what was on their mind, right? So 42%, that's that's a rather striking striking number. So roughly speaking, half of people don't say or don't express their ideas in a meeting, which is, if you think about it again, how many ideas, how many solutions, how many, how, how much, how much potential actually remains un, 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 untapped. And having said that, they also indicated, over half of them indicated that 
their manager needs to get better at facilitating discussions in meetings, <laughs> right? So again, it comes, um, comes along with us as team leaders building the skill, the right skill set for crowdsourcing that knowledge and for leading and engaging discussion and a conversation yeah. and, and being there for the team and not only speaking, but listening. Well, I think I, I would suspect, I think it's interesting the conclusion that you derived that um, that the increase in meetings was in some sense to supplement the social bond within a workplace because what I initially thought when you cited the statistic is that people probably didn't consider the shoulder taps and the quick, what are you working on? And the, can you answer this question for me that I emailed you about, but I didn't get an immediate response. So I came over to your desk. <laughs> they didn't think of those things as meetings. And so now that those things have translated into meetings, it's not like they're getting less or more of those engagements. They just now happen in the context of Zoom calls. Um, but I do, th you know, like it doesn't surprise me at all that people are, are bored at meetings and that, um, you know, there's a whole move towards asynchronous work specifically so that, so that you don't have to do as many, uh, you know, as many meetings. Um, and, and I know that in, in the past, I have also challenged, been challenged kind of with having to go to meetings where there didn't seem to be any kind of set agenda. It wasn't clear whether or not all the people who were there had to be there. It wasn't clear whether or not I had to be there. <laughs> so <laughs> it's... Uh, I think I think there's definitely when you when you relegate your um, strategy to internal meetings, there are all these factors that you have to consider because people are not excited to go to them in the same way that they might be excited to go to a conference. Yeah, in a way, you're kind of saying company culture comes through in all of this, and like, how do you how do you like tweak a tool to? help or to reflect company culture or to improve company culture. Is that even possible? Mm -hmm. Is there some way to, to rework your your sort of strategy about conversational meetings where people are asked simple questions apart from the meeting and then there's more collaboration within? And Miguel, I'm so happy that you, that you touched on that point. And it is really true. And we like to say that, that meetings are the reflection of your company culture. So if you if your boss is very directive and authoritarian and speaks a lot, right? So potentially the meetings will be more or less the same, but it really requires a deep change if you want to open up and lead the conversation and listen to your uh, to your employees. And sometimes Slido is a really simple tool, right? Like uh, it lets people to submit the questions, but it can cause a fundamental change in your meetings and in your, in your company culture as well, right? You have to be ready to open up, to hear that feedback that might not be flattering, to engage in a conversation and to listen to your employees. And especially if there, there, there's, there is a tension or you, know, you didn't speak with your team ever or in a long time, there might be a lot of frustration or unanswered questions, uncertainty. And if you unplug that thing, it can, you know, sort of like a completely overwhelm you and, and, and you need to be, be ready for that. But on the other side, it has this kind of a cleansing effect, right? Like you start building that culture of trust, transparency, and a two-way uh, conversation, which I believe is absolutely, you know, fundamental for any, any healthy workplace. It sounds like tools you know, audience response tools, I think as, as a category, uh, I think to speak in more general terms, uh, can 
affect a company's culture. Um, and is that something that you are intentional about or do you, or is that just sort of a, a, a reflection or something that happens as a consequence of using this type of tool? Very timely question, Miguel. Uh, again, something that we observed and learn from our, our clients. And we try to be more intentional about, because as I said, like Slido can transform your meetings if used well, and your meetings can transform your culture. So if you use Slido well, and if you pair it with the right skills and change the way you lead the team, that goes very much hand in hand with how you lead your meetings and lead the team that can have a substantial effect on your culture. As I said, like a create a more transparency, more openness, more trust and you know that the, the byproduct is the happiness of the team more effective and more, more productive workforce a happier workforce or more satisfied so yes exactly as you said like these simple tools can have a substantial impact on the on the meetings and as a result the meeting culture and it's for for some people this could be actually a far-fetched thing but and it's a long, long process that we want to be more and more intentional about. And in the first stage, helping people to use the tool. In the second stage, help them build the skills. Third stage, help, help, help them transform their meetings. And if they do all these things well, they will see these kind of uh, effects on their, on their culture, right? So fundamentally, if done right, they can transform their, their culture as a, as a result. Fascinating. I think, yeah, I think... Uh... Event tech is not just a tool. I mean, it, it, it is a tool in the sense that it, it, it has to be part of a larger process, but it can really be um, part of the strategic improvement, right? Or part of making those decisions to, to be better and to be more open uh, if you want to use the tools in that sense. You're right. Um, just want to say thank you. Uh, we're going to wrap up there, but I wanted to ask one last question that we're asking all our guests, which is to recommend someone that you may think uh, would be a great guest for our events manager podcast. You definitely have to invite Leanne Hughes. Mm -hmm. She's absolutely a fascinating person and a fantastic facilitator. We have worked together on the trend report from which I shared a few stats and she was our guest on the hybrid meetings webinar this morning. And I think she's going to bring immense value to all the listeners. Great right. stuff. Thank you for making that connection. And we'll make sure to follow up and get her on the show. So uh, from myself and the whole uh, Event MB team, we'd like to thank you for listening. And thank you for joining us, Uri. Uh Hope you enjoy that. Uh, we certainly did. And uh, hope you listen to some of the other shows as well. Likewise. Thank you so much, Miguel. Dylan, it was a pleasure. Ciao. All right. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.